You're listening to a DM podcast. By that point, he was purple, um, and he'd been vomiting in the in the water. So yeah, obviously he was foaming at the mouth and very unconscious. And when I just looked at him, I just said, "Oh my gosh, he's he's died!" Like it just yeah, there was no life left in him. Still breathing okay at the moment. Is it a big property? That blood pressure is not coming up. Hi, my name is Lana Mitchell from the Royal Flying Doctor Service. This is a podcast about life in the bush, mateship, courage, and the role that the Royal Flying Doctor Service plays in serving rural and remote communities. This is the Flying Doctor Podcast. My name is Kira Lee Dargan from the Royal Flying Doctor Service and I'm an Aboriginal woman of the Radri Nation. This podcast has been recorded on Ngunnawal land and is being broadcast across all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We at the Royal Flying Doctor Service want to acknowledge Elders past and present. The RFDS recognises that this is First Peoples land and always will be. Adam Hunter is a senior constable for the WA Police. He's a family man, married to Kate, and together they have three young boys, Max, Charlie and Jack. Living in Perth every year, for the last several years, Adam and Kate have driven south about two and a half to three hours to holiday in Bustleton with eight other families. Now, Bustleton is a city on the southwest tip of Western Australia. It's known for its sheltered beach and seasonal humpback whale populations. The beachfront features this 19th century Bustleton jetty and the wood pier stretches out nearly two kilometres to the underwater observatory where life in a coral reef is on view. It's a stunning part of the world and a great place to holiday. Hello, Adam and Kate. Hello. Hello. Before we get into Bustleton and what's amazing about holidaying there, first of all, how long have you two been together? Uh, we met in 2006, so 17 years. Oh, so it's been a while. It yeah. has. Have you always lived in Perth? We have, yep. Yep, yep. And so when did you start taking the family to Bustleton for holidays? Is that a recent thing? It would have been when our eldest son, when he started school and because they're all school families. So it's a group of families. Yeah, I think we've... We met, what, when he was in year one? That's right. So since he's been in year one. And what year is he in now? He is about to go into year six. Wow. Okay, great. Well, that's that's definitely a family tradition. It's amazing how school networks can become so strong. That's wonderful. So there's eight families. How many kids would that be then in total when you add them all up? Uh, they outnumber us. All together we have 40. Wow. 40 of us. Yeah, from that there's 16 adults and all the rest are kids. <laughs> oh, it sounds brilliant. Sounds like a lot of fun. Now, what do you love about Bustleton and why Bustleton? Because there's so many amazing places around Perth. Why that location? The caravan park we go to, it's absolutely amazing. There's eight, nine chalets all around a little little oval and we all come out each morning and and meet each other and we, we do activities in Buswoden and we come back at night and have a barbecue and have some drinks and the kids are all having fun running around. So it's great. They love it. Sounds perfect. Is this a Christmas holiday activity or term break? Oh, we go the second week of January. 
that's sort of become the tradition now. And is it hot there at that time of year? Cooler than Perth, but it is warm. Yeah. So the day that we're going to take up now, we're just going to call it the incident. Yes, that sounds good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So on the day of the incident, was that in early January and what sort of day was it? Um, I think it was the third day of our trip, if I remember correctly. And, yeah, it was a a sunny summer's day and some of the parents had already gone out earlier that day to do an art activity and then they came back and then – I sort of decided we'd all go to the beach because we quite often went to the beach, like a two-minute walk, if that. Yeah. So we all went down with our equipment, yeah, and one of the dads had brought down a jet ski and that was that, that was the start of the fun. Now, <laughs> has, is that a regular thing or was this the first time a jet ski had been entered into the equation? So Anthony brought a jet ski the year before. Oh, it's great fun. The kids go on, the adults go on. And, you know, it's, it's, it's good fun. Yeah. Everyone enjoys it. And the water's very calm. So it's, it's a fun way to go. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Now, Adam, the jet ski then became the subject of a little bit of an adventure. Um, and I think that adventure had something to do with a blow-up lounge. Could you describe what that was and how, what the plan was? That's right. Well, it's normally two adults. Or three kids and they obviously go, go on the back of their blow-up lounge and then we have one driver on the jet ski that's normally Anthony and we have one spotter so turned around watching what we're doing and that day that was Danny who was part of the the hero story the rescue the lounge is on behind the jet ski and uh, you're essentially touring around and and whoever's on the lounge at the back gets to uh, hold on for dear life. Like, what what is it like to yes. be on the back there? Is it? Are we talking high speeds, or are we just talking sort of cruising? Oh, it's it's probably in between. It's, it's it wasn't too quick. Anthony could have gone a lot quicker. He didn't. Okay. He, he drives to, to the conditions, and you know, normally it's a it's a pretty safe ride. But yeah, obviously something different happened that day. And you were wearing life jackets. Yeah, always wear life jackets. Anthony is all over that. You do not get on the back without a life jacket. Good on him. And, and Anthony, I presume, make sure that nobody's been drinking or doing anything silly. So there's no alcohol yes, in right. this mix, right? No. That's right. No, there wasn't. Good. I hope all audience members are listening to that. No alcohol required. Okay, great. So no. so what happened then? So the you've got two on the jet ski and you've got how many on the lounge? Was it just yourself and one other or? Yeah, it was, it was another another friend. That was Bryce. He was sitting on the right or sitting on the left. And we were being towed around and, and we were having fun and there was a couple of little little bumps where we sort of, you know, maybe went 30 centimetres in the air and, and came down again and we were laughing and, and, and just having fun really. Yeah, just mucking about. That's it, that's it. That's it. Yeah, having a good time with mates. So what happened? Well, th- this is a bit I don't remember. This is where Kate will probably have to fill you in. But obviously we'd been going, I remember going up and down the coast of Bustledon for a few minutes and, and then and then it's Kate really. All right, well, let's go to you, Kate. So you're on shore with the kids and all the other, everybody else and what did, you, uh, obviously Adam had been out there on the jet ski with the boys and I presume you had your attention elsewhere. When did you yes. first learn or hear or see something was not quite right? Yeah, looking back, like we had the music on and everyone was like some of the kids were playing they were playing cricket. There was some of the kids playing with the sandcastles and 
most of us were just, we were on the edge and we were like, we could see the dads in, in the background. And then we saw, I guess we, we were just sort of watching them. And then there was like a bit of a bit more of a wave than normally there is because it's normally very calm. Yeah. And it wasn't too big, but it was enough that as the couch hit the wave, they both, we saw them both come off. And at the time, all of us were laughing on the, on the shore because they'd fallen off and we, it was more the parents that were laughing because <laughs> we were like, oh, the kids all managed to stay on and, <laughs> and, and the dads fell off and they were talking a big game that they wouldn't fall off and all this. So we, that's why we were all laughing. Yeah. And it was all good. And then we were like, oh, it seems to be taking them a lot longer to be getting back on what's going on. Then, I don't know, everything just went very quiet. Connie, who's Anthony's wife, we saw Anthony must have been like calling to her and saying, and then all I could hear was someone saying, call the ambulance. And Ash, who's Bryce's wife and myself, were like, oh, one of them's probably broken an arm or done something silly. Oh, here we go. Still not really taking into account the severity of what had gone on because yeah. it was all still, they were still f- far out from shore that we couldn't work out. And then all of the dads that were on the shore that could hear them saying, call the ambulance, there was paddle boards because the kids all have those inflatable paddle boards and stuff. So the dads, there was a group of them that all got on their paddle boards and they all started going out to to see what was going on. Yeah. And to try and give everyone a hand. The mums, I think they probably realised that it was a bit more serious than I did at the time and they just started packing all the kids up and trying and we could hear Anthony saying, get all the kids off the beach. Oh, my gosh. The mums just all of a sudden, like I just remember standing at the shore and I wasn't really doing anything because I was just looking out, just trying to work out. And at that time we didn't know if it was Adam or Bryce what had happened. So Ash and I were pretty much just at the edge waiting to see what was going on. And those beautiful angel friends of mine just, when I looked behind me, they had all of my kids and they were all trying to stay as calm as they could and they were just getting everyone off the beach so they were just and they were doing it in a way that the kids had no idea what was happening like they were just like oh let's go back let's go back to the house and they all sort of went and I do remember my little one he was only three at the time and him saying mummy come with me and they were like it's okay mum's coming she's just waiting for dad and then she'll come back so they all of the mums took everyone and I don't know how they managed because we had cabanas up, we had, like I said, like all these, all their beach toys and everything and it just felt like two minutes and they cleared the whole beach basically. Wow. And everyone was gone and it was just Ash and I left. The dads 
where then I could hear someone saying, it's Adam. And so then, yeah, obviously I just felt sick straight away because I just didn't know what had happened. I could see that there was some issues. Like they were trying to get Adam up onto the jet ski, but they couldn't lift him up because it was a jet ski, obviously. And they're trying to lift him out. And he was, at this point, I didn't know, but he was unconscious. So he wasn't able to help them get up. So they were just trying to lift him up onto the back of the jet ski. And you're not a small man, are you, Adam? Uh, unfortunately, no. <laughs> How tall are you, by the way? Oh, I'm 178, but, yeah, 100 kilos. Yeah, and maybe not quite as buoyant as you would like to have been in that circumstance. Oh, I don't think I was, no, unfortunately. I definitely wasn't helping. Okay, so were they able to get him onto the jet ski? Or? No, so they tried and we could see then, I could sort of see that they were trying to get him onto the paddle board. They were like, because obviously they couldn't get him on the jet ski, so then all of them were trying to get him on the paddle board. That wasn't working either. And then all I could see was Danny, who is the spotter on the back. Thankfully, Anthony always goes with a spotter because if it wasn't for Danny saying, Anthony, they've fallen off, yeah, who knows what could have happened. But mm. um, And the fact that they had the spotter, they could get him out quickly. Danny literally towed him back to shore wow. so um, because everything else, nothing was working. And Danny just grabbed him and just, and Danny, yeah, he also used to be in the Navy, so thank goodness it was the best person to have mm. in that situation. Adam just, yeah, he towed him the whole way back by himself, just dragged him. And once he got onto the shore, I got a glimpse of Adam and then people sort of moved me away because by that point he was purple and he had been vomiting in the in the water. So, yeah, obviously he was foaming at the mouth and very unconscious. And when I just looked at him, I just said, oh, my gosh, he's he's died. Like, he just, yeah, there was no life left in him. As I mentioned earlier, this podcast has been made possible with the support of Isuzu Ute Australia. Having reliable vehicles is imperative in the harsh Australian outback, and Isuzu have provided D-Max Utes and MUX SUVs to pull seven large RFDS flight simulators as they engage in school, community and field day activities for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. These simulators are full-size planes minus the wings and the Isuzu D-Max and MUX vehicles are a perfect match for the long distance heavy towing demands of these RFDS simulators right across Australia. So keep an eye out for them as they travel around each state and we would love to see photos and locations on our Flying Doctor podcast community Facebook page when you see them. As soon as he came out, it was just like a well-oiled machine. Those, all of our friends between them, like if it wasn't for them, yeah, I, you just hate to think what could have happened. But Connie had called the ambulance and thankfully we're very close to the hospital where we stay. Danny had an app on his phone, the St. John ambulance app, mm. and th he was using that so he could they could count 
things that were going on. But at that point, he wasn't breathing. So um, they said he still had a heart. He still had a heartbeat, but he wasn't breathing. And then I was up the top, and for some reason two ambulances were sent and we've since found out that that never happens. The St John, they had people from Perth that were that were working um, in Bustleton for the holiday period. So we had four people in the ambulance come down and they just ran straight down and by that point Adam was very, like he was moving around but because he had been starved of oxygen, he was getting quite angry and lashing. He was hitting people and um, doing all sorts of stuff, which apparently is what your body does. Wow! Um, when it's starved of oxygen, so it was just an involuntary thing that his body was doing. Can I ask a question, Kate? So he had a heartbeat, but he wasn't mm-hmm. breathing. Did did they do um, mouth to mouth, or how did they get him breathing again? I think by that point, by the time that they the ambulance officers came they were able to put the oxygen onto his onto his mouth because literally by the time Adam got brought out the ambulance was already there wow. so um so yeah they they were helping the ambulance officers and um they put the the mouth thing on and were putting oxygen into him but the score that he got when he came out was like a three and apparently that's the worst score that you can get basically Mm. survivor wise but nobody really told me that until after the fact because yeah they didn't want to worry me so they had the breathing the breathing pump thing on him and they put him on the stretcher took him to the ambulance and I rode in the ambulance um, with Adam and then the other ambulance came behind and obviously it was lights lights and sirens. When we were in the ambulance, the ambulance officers were amazing but also letting me know that he may not survive. Wow. Which I guess I hadn't even thought that would have been. I was more like, oh, so you're getting back and... He'll be able to come home tonight, and they were like, "Oh no, he's got a long, a long road ahead of him." So, when we got to the hospital and they pulled the stretcher out, it felt like, yeah, all of Bustleton's sand just <laughs> <laughs> poured out, <laughs> and and that was the biggest, the biggest joke between everyone is how much sand he had on him. <laughs> like he had sand in his eyes, sand in his hair, sand all over his body. And he was just like, as they were wheeling him in, there was just sand just like pouring off the stretcher (laughs) as they were wheeling him in. They were so amazing at Bustleton Hospital because it's not a very big hospital in comparison, obviously, to Perth. Yeah. So when we got there, they put me in a a little room and then another person came back in and I was like, oh, no, if they've put me in the little room, that's not good I don't feel like that's yeah I, I don't know by that point I'd started realizing this could be this could be bad and then I had a doctor come in and say that we need to put him on we've had to intubate him so basically he's on life support because he's not breathing on his own 
and yeah, and he's just not in a great, great way. So yeah, then that obviously hit me and I'm in a hospital, yeah, just literally with my bathers on because we've just gone from the beach. All I'm thinking about is what do I do? Like, do I stay here with Adam? I've got three kids back at our villa as well. We've got all of our friends who have just seen this. Yeah, just a million things going on in my mind. That's just horrible. Can I ask a question really quickly, Kate? Did you at that point know what had actually happened? Because other than him coming off that inflatable lounge chair being pulled by a jet ski, did you have any understanding of what had happened from the point of he went off and then him being pulled out of the water in that state? No idea. No. And he didn't have any... There was no like blood coming from him. There was no bruises. There was nothing broken. So we were like, what had actually happened? So there was a, a mystery for you about what had actually occurred. All you knew was yeah, exactly. hu- husband went out to have some fun with the mates and then husband was no longer having fun. Having fun. That's it. And you're suddenly at the hospital saying, what on earth has happened? At what point did you actually get um, you know, the doctors to come and talk to you and tell you what the diagnosis was and what was going on? The doctors, they did come in quite, quite soon. They, they, once they had intubated Adam, then they came in and sort of told me and I said, like, how does this happen? Like, he was wearing a life jacket. He knows how to swim. Like, you don't normally hear of a 40-year-old guy that knows how to swim that has nearly drowned. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just a bit confused. Um, but he basically said to us, jet skis are like motorbikes but on the water. Even if you're not going super fast, as you're going, if you hit the water, it's like like falling off a motorbike and hitting the road. Right. They said the only thing we can think is that he's hit his head so hard that he's knocked himself unconscious and then he's breathed in a whole bunch of water in um in that time and then I guess all the the parents and things were like talking and um Danny had written notes and notes about what had happened he was like trying to work it all out and between him and Anthony they were all trying to sort out what actually had happened and then um yeah so then the doctors said that to me I just sort of had no idea what to do. So I said, like, what do I do? (laughs) And the nurse came in and said, I would go home, be with your kids because Adam won't know if you're here or there. Mm -hmm. And they said he's going to have to get flown to Perth. Yeah, he's going to have to go back to Perth straight away. We've booked a flight already and... Uh, by that point, Anthony and Connie were both had also come to the hospital and, um, yeah, it's just trying to tell Anthony that this is not his fault because he was obviously, yeah, in an absolute um, state because, um, yeah, didn't know uh, what was happening and he just felt so incredibly guilty. And, yeah, we were just, I was just kept on trying to tell him it was just an accident. It's, yeah, it wasn't your fault. You did everything right. The nurses and the doctors had all said that if Adam wasn't wearing a life jacket, 
he would have died, like without a doubt, because, yeah, he just would have gone to the bottom. Like he wouldn't have, um, but because he had a life jacket on, Bryce, as soon as they saw it, Danny said, get at him, and Bryce could lift him up straight away. Wow. And, and at that point, Bryce said that he was conscious enough to say, Bryce said, are you okay? And Adam said no and then vomited all over poor Bryce, <laughs> um, which we can laugh about now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and continued and then he just completely went back out of it again. So um, Adam can't remember any of that that happened. Totally understandable, Adam. I, I think it's a really interesting analogy about motorbikes and jet skis because mm. we sort of have this strange idea that water is soft. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, you sort of think, oh, well, if you if you land in the water, then it's soft and you get some sort of cushioning. But obviously yeah. when you're even as you said, it doesn't even have to be a high speed, but you're yeah. still you're still impacting and that was enough to render him unconscious. I don't know that there's a lot you could have done differently other than not be on the jet ski and the and the inflatable lounge to begin with. It wasn't that there was anything that was done wrong. It just, mm. as you say, it was just what occurred. Yeah. Incredible that you had so many capable and and strong and um, calming people and, and friends around mm-hmm. you to be able to jump to his aid. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So, so at what point you were told that they were going to send Adam to uh, Perth and yep. that they'd called the plane, did you go home or did you stay there? What did you do next? Yeah, so because Anthony was at the hospital, he he drove us back. So I just gave Adam a big a big hug. They told me to, to you know say goodbye to him, and he had I've never seen anyone on life support before, so that was very confronting seeing all the tubes and yeah. everything like that. And yeah, just had to say goodbye to him and just leave him in the care of of the hospital staff and as much as I wanted to be with him I knew I needed to be with the kids as well uh eldest has got quite bad anxiety and I was very worried about how he was would have coped with the whole thing but yeah so when we got back we drove back it was a very quiet drive back to the the place but I was just kept on trying to stay as positive as I could and I knew that if I let myself start thinking what if yeah then it would have I would have gone down that rabbit hole which I didn't want to go down and I knew I had to be strong for the kids so once we got back we literally put the car in and I looked out and all of the beautiful friends that we have had they all the tables were together they had ordered pizza and my kids had the biggest smile on their face and were just like hey mum where's dad and I just had no idea of what was going on and that was all thanks to our friends like they'd get put them in their pajamas wow. they had you know like they'd fed them all they were so happy so loved so I just came gave them a big hug said dad's just having a bit of a sleep in hospital he'll be back you know it's going to be okay don't worry and my eldest who I was probably most concerned about was so fine because um Bryce is actually a psychologist and had sat down with all the kids and 
yeah, told them in a way that really resonated with them. And so Jack was very aware that everything, you know, he was he was feeling okay. My littlest one, Max, had makeup all over his face because <laughs> he was playing makeup with some of the big girls. <laughs> um, and he was dancing to Coco Melon, like just having a great time. And Charlie, probably more, he's our middle, he probably more was very, I guess, disconnected from the whole thing, which I think was his coping mechanism. Like he just didn't want to talk about it, didn't want to think about it. Like that was just how he went. So, yeah, I guess it's just interesting seeing the different ways that people cope with, yeah, something like that as well. Yeah. Like after I'd seen the kids, they were okay. I said, look, I just need to have a massive cry. I'm just going to go and have a quick shower and cry and then I'll be fine. But I just... Yeah, I guess once you've been, yeah, thinking, thinking, what am I going to do? After I got out of the shower, I'd already called mum and dad and said, I don't even know how I'm going to get home. Like, I don't know how to tow a trailer. We've got a trailer. I don't know if I need to stay here. Do I need to go? I don't know what to do. So mum and dad literally just got in their car with nothing. They just got in their car and drove straight to Bustleton, which is two and a half hours from Perth. They just said, no, we're coming. We're going to be there. I think it was probably maybe about nine o'clock at night and mum and dad arrived and all the kids, we'd got them to bed. Everyone was just so, so amazing and, yeah, trying to work out the best way what we should do moving forward. And I was just waiting because I knew at the hospital they had said we have to do an MRI of his brain and... If the MRI is okay, then he will be going to Bunbury Hospital. Yeah. But if the MRI is not okay, then we have to get him to Perth. So I was just kept on waiting for my phone to ring and I just knew that if they said he was going to Bunbury, I felt like it was going to be okay. But if he was going to Perth, then we'd have a bit more of a, a struggle. And they called me at... 10 o'clock at night and said he's going to Perth and I just automatically went oh my goodness no that's not that's not good but it turns out that they ended up not having space um, in the ICU in Bunbury and that's why he went to Perth but for just a split second there I was like oh no that's really bad and nothing showed up that was horrendous. Like he didn't have any bleeding in his brain or anything in his MRI. So that's another amazing thing. He did have some swelling, but not no bleeds. And that made them think that that's what's happened. He's hit his head because um, they checked all of his, the rest of him and he was fine. So mum and dad were there. We, I slept in the kid's bunk bed for the night because we just didn't want to be driving home just late at night and things. So we said, let's just have a sleep and we'll go to Perth first thing in the morning. Um, I got a call from Fiona Stanley at 3am to say he's just arrived and he's got sand everywhere. (laughs) I heard it again. Um, (laughs) And that he's in ICU. Which hospital was he in? He was at Fiona Stanley. At the Fiona Stanley. Which is, yeah. So they they took him straight to there and I said, okay, we woke up in the morning. Normally our group of friends, we have a night where we get dressed up or 
it like a themed night. One year we had Mexican and all different things. And this year we decided it was going to be a sparkle night. And the kids were most, they were so upset that they had to leave because we were only like, like Adam said, three days in to our holiday. They were so sad we had to leave. And they were so sad that they were going to miss the sparkle party. And um, when we woke up in the morning, all of our friends had bound together. I don't know what time they woke up, but they had turned the whole like camping ground thing into a sparkly <laughs> wonderland. <laughs> and um, we had the sparkle party first thing in the morning and it was so beautiful. All the kids got to put their sparkle things on. Nobody probably felt like partying, but everyone did it for the kids, you know, like, um, wow. so yeah, everyone what, got their sparkle on. What an amazing <laughs> tribe of people, Kate. They, yeah, they are so amazing. That's just remarkable. Like it's, yeah, they're putting family first and making sure that, that everybody's going to be okay throughout this, even yeah. though the kids may not even realise the severity of what's going on. They're going to make sure they get their sparkles regardless. Yes. Yeah. It was so beautiful. Yeah. And so the kids had the time of their life and then um and then we said yeah then we had like a we said to them look boys we've got to go we've got to go back and and see dad so they all got in the car and all of our friends were like they were all lined up waving to us and giving us a bit of a um <laughs> you know giving blowing us lots of kisses and lots of love just so, yeah, and then I guess I knew that, right, once we leave, reality, reality's setting in. Mm. Um, so we drove back to Perth and my dad, so my dad drove my car since I can't drive with a, a trailer and he dropped me at Fiona Stanley on the way home and then him and mum took the boys home. They unpacked all of my things because, yeah, started the million loads of washing that we had. <laughs> They're just, yeah, absolutely incredible. So they, mum and dad, did all of that. They were sorting out tea for the boys. Obviously for them, they were, yeah, very, very worried because that's their son-in-law as well. Like they don't, so they've, they're trying to overcome that to be there for the children as well. So yeah. I think everyone just went above and beyond to keep our boys happy and safe. So when I went, um, when I saw Adam in hospital, he was in ICU and at that point they said, which I hadn't even thought about, that even if he does come off the breathing tubes, he may brain damage-wise because they didn't know how long he hadn't been breathing for so and how long his brain had been starved of oxygen. So we don't really know what the case, yeah, we don't really know. So they were trying to give me all of the worst case scenarios, I guess. So, yeah, so I was like, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Okay, that's the next thing. Does Adam have family in Perth? Where- um, yes. He's only got his mum. Um, his dad passed away. So he's only got his mum and she's from England. So all of her family is in England. So literally he's got his mum and he's got his aunties and things from his dad's side. Yeah. And his mum was 39 when she had Adam. So she's a little bit older. And so I was trying not to call her for as long as I could, because I was really worried about her health and 
things as well. Mm. Once we knew that he was in Perth and everything was okay, or like he was okay because he was in ICU, then we let her know. Right. And she obviously didn't cope very well with the whole thing and she also lives in Mandurah, which is an hour out of Perth and she doesn't drive. Yeah, for her it was... It's very stressful. Yeah, and she didn't really want... um, to be coming to ICU and things because I think she wasn't mentally in a state to be able to deal with all that, Yeah, which I totally get as well. And I do remember a nurse telling me at ICU and it, she used to say, like, when you come, you need to just, like, put your big girl pants on and you need to be tough, like, for Adam, and which is probably exactly what I needed to hear because she said, like, if he wakes up, and you're crying, then he's going to freak out as well because he's going to wake up and have no idea what where he is, what's going on. If he looks and sees you crying, then, yeah, that's not going to be great. So I used to just go and see him every day in ICU. I'd wait, you know, get there, and I would go to the little chapel and say some prayers beforehand, and every day they'd say maybe today will be the day that we can wake him up Um, and every day they tried to wake him up he would get too aggressive and he would not that yeah it wasn't doing it on purpose and he's such a kind-hearted guy normally but it was obviously still from how they got him on the beach is how he was still responding Mm. so every time they try and take him off the ventilator and he would try and breathe on his own he would lash out and it was too dangerous for the for the hospital staff, so they had to keep putting him back under. Wow. And that went on for three days. It felt like weeks, but it was only three or four days. Then they said to me, tomorrow's his birthday. How about, yeah, let's, so I just kept thinking maybe we'll get a birthday miracle. Maybe today will be the day. So I got there on his birthday, it's like, I think 7am and they said that they're going to wait until you get there to try and bring him out. So I had a playlist of his on that, his favourite playlist, and the boys had recorded him a happy birthday video. So I had that like on repeat. I just kept on so he could hear the boys' Mm. little voices saying, we love you, Dad, and happy birthday and everything. We had that on and we, because we were just trying to keep him as calm as we could. Yeah. So when he woke up, he did start getting a little bit agitated, but then he looked over at me and he, I don't know, he just started getting a little bit calmer. He couldn't talk because he had had the breathing tube down, but I could see he was so confused and didn't know what was going on. He was asking the nurse. So at this point, his eyes were open. So to be able to come fully off life support, you need to be able to do a a certain amount of instructions that the nurses ask. So like they had to say, can you poke your tongue out? And he had to be able to show them he could do that. Can you look to the left? Can you look to the right? They were getting him to do all these little things. And that day he was complying and doing what they were asking him to do. And uh, just all these little things I was like yay he poked his tongue out like never been so excited for him to poke his tongue out before (laughs) and then they had to do an x-ray a chest x-ray so his lungs was like 80% seawater wasn't it 
in his lungs. Yeah. Wow. So um, that's why he only had a tiny little bit of lung that he was able to breathe from. But hopefully with the ventilator, it was able to help dry out his lungs a little bit. So they were quite happy that he was on the ventilator as long as he was. They said those little things in your lungs are like, like when you have water, if you put water between two pieces of glass right. and how you can't pull them apart, that's what those little, the little sacks in your lungs do. When there's water, they stick together and then they don't come apart. So with the air being pushed through the ventilator, it was pushing those little those little sacks open mm. and helping to dry them, dry them out. Uh, so they did another x-ray in his bed and he still was still had a lot of water in his lungs, still about 70%, I think it was. Wow. Um, but he was doing okay that they could take him off the, the ventilator. So they took him off. He still had like a breathing tube through his nose, but um, he was breathing on his own. When he could finally talk, I remember saying to him, do you remember who I am? And he, and he said, of course I do. You're my beautiful wife. Wow. <laughs> and I was just a blubbering mess. I was so, so excited that he knew who I was. I said, do you remember, like, do you know where you are? You're in hospital. And all he said was jet ski. And I said, yep, it was the jet ski. And the first thing he was worried about was Anthony. He was like, is Anthony okay? And I said, yeah, he's okay because Adam was more worried about about him and worried, yeah, about he, I guess Adam could just imagine how guilty poor Anthony would have felt even though it wasn't his fault. Yeah, Adam was just worried about Anthony. Now could I ask, could I ask a question to you, Adam? Do you remember yeah. that day then waking up? How, how were you feeling Obviously very disoriented, but do you yeah. remember that day of waking up and looking across and seeing Kate? I, I do. I remember being groggy as anything because <laughs> I'd, I'd been on so many medications. I remember them taking the tube out after. I don't really remember the test, to be honest, mm. but I remember them taking the tube out of my mouth and I remember saying to Kate, you're my beautiful wife. And then it was sort of explained to me what, what, what had happened and I think I was in shock. And I was worried about everybody. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that day, even I even made a phone call to Anthony. Yeah, you did. I yeah. Did, yeah, it was a very groggy call, but <laughs> and yeah, I remember there was a video taken of me that morning, and, and I'm talking, and it's like I'm in another world, really. But <laughs> I was on so many medications. I have seen that video, and you certainly oh, are you? not your best. no no not your best day adam (laughs) no it wasn't my best day but like like i'm i'm a bit of a joker and i don't take anything too seriously and i woke up honestly thought i'd be back at work in a couple of weeks and (laughs) obviously that didn't happen yeah as as i said i woke up i didn't know what had happened and i sort of found out that over the next few days everything kate had been through and I couldn't have done it. I don't know how she did it. I know I couldn't have. She's amazing. Well, you certainly have an amazing family, an amazing tribe of friends um, and family, just incredible. Now, what was the recovery like for you, Adam? So when they finally let you out of hospital, when you've drowned, which you did, you drowned, but you were managed to make your way through it, what what toll does it have on the body and, and, and what sort of rehab do you have to go through? 
it was a massive toll. There's a cognitive issues. I had massive fatigue issues. I was tired all the time. People would come over and I'd need an hour or two hours sleep after it. Wow. That's, it was just ridiculous. I ended up having um, an OT come and assist with some of the cognitive issues I was having. I found it very difficult with the instructions. You had the physio to help yeah, him with his walking. We had to keep checking his, like, oxygen stats and mm. you had the OT that helped you with your ha- helping eating again. Yep. Wow. I guess it's a huge shock to the body, isn't it? Massive. Yeah. Oh, it really is. Yeah. So at um, what point were you able to actually go home and, and what did the kids do when they saw you? Well, I think I came back after about seven or ten days and I wasn't really meant to do a lot of walking. So Kate actually, we ch- we turned our lounge room into a new bedroom <laughs> for me. <laughs> so I would, I would stay in my bed and we'd have people come over and I'd sort of move to our other makeshift lounge room we created and it, it was different. The kids... To start with, they were, they were really good, but it wasn't long before they were jumping on the bed and, and the rest of it. They wanted Dad back back to his normal yeah. crazy self. Their tolerance for this lying around is, you know, limited really. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah, they didn't understand why I was always tired and always sleeping and, you know, they're only little. I understand that. Yeah. They're only little. And they were on school holidays as well at the time, so it was <laughs> they were around 24-7 as well, which, yeah. Is tricky. How are you today, Adam? Have you recovered fully? Because it's now been what a year or more. Um, I'd say I'm probably ninety percent there. I'm back at work, doing normal full time duties again. Um, I, I still do get tired at times. Like, like I said, I, I, I'm nearly there, but there's still some little things that are lingering. Mm. Not enough to stop me doing my job, but just stuff I notice. Yeah, just things that aren't um, quite the same as what they were before. That's right, yeah. Yeah. They did say it'd be a year before I was back to myself, but I think there'll be some stuff there that's permanent. But at the end of the day, I'm walking, I'm breathing, and I can still contribute, so I've got nothing to complain about. Yeah, that's fantastic. Has your perspective on life changed at all as a consequence of this accident? Um, yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I like how Kate answers for you. (laughs) I, I, look, I try not let the little things bother me so much. I, I guess it's more everyone else because everyone else experienced it. I, I didn't. I, I mean, everyone else saw it. To me, I guess I was asleep for four days and then I woke up. But I didn't experience the stress and the, you know, and the angst. And uh, like I said earlier, I don't know how I would have dealt with it. I wouldn't have. I would have broken down. And I know I'm a police officer, but it's, it's your own family and. I would not have coped, so I don't know how Kate did it, honestly. Strongest woman ever. <laughs> she is pretty strong, I must say. Oh, she She's, is. I think she she fits that definition of mama bear beautifully. She she <laughs> yeah. she had yeah. it all under control to that degree, maybe at least outwardly it was all under control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> is there any advice that you would give to anybody who is out at the coast or on a lake or, you know, just having some holidays with the kids and there's a jet ski do you have any advice for them as a person who's experienced something that probably was not high on your list? Um, I think just be responsible out there. And, I mean, we were being responsible. We, we were doing everything right and look what happened to me. So if you're not, it could be worse. Yeah. And, and for God's sake, make sure you wear a life jacket. 
I see so many people on the river around Perth on their jet skis, hooning around, having fun, and look, 95% they'll be fine, but it only takes that one little wave or, you know, the wake of a boat and yeah, they get upended. Yeah. I think the other um, really critical thing about the story that both you and Kate have shared today is that you had these very competent people around. You were close enough to a hospital where an ambulance uh, or two ambulances could get there pretty quickly, but you also were with a bunch of people who were very competent uh, both in being able to bring you back to shore and then being able to um, immediately start, you know, doing first responder activities. And so I think for those who are travelling in rural and remote Australia, they should always remember that even if it seems like it's all okay, if something does go pear-shaped, make sure you know what to do and have the resources, you know how to do CPR, you know um, how to contact mm-hmm. emergency services because yep. because I think a lot of people are away, a lot further away than what you were from an ambulance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the outcome wouldn't have been so good if you'd had to wait for two hours. Oh, exactly. Oh, it would have been completely different. Yeah. Definitely. And being flown up to Perth so quickly and everything, and I mean th- those guys, I mean they're they're my guardian angels, they're my heroes. They saved my life. I wouldn't be here without them. Mm-hmm. And and we're all going away again in January to the same place. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Are you all going there again in a few weeks' time? Yeah, it's, it's all booked. Anthony actually sold his jet ski, so there's no jet ski this time. Um, and I've, I've been banned by Kate from ever getting on a watercraft ever again. <laughs> Not even a kayak or a, um, a, a water lilo? I don't know. I haven't pushed it that far. Like one of those giant blow-up flamingos or something? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Maybe that. Or maybe just a pool noodle. Will she let you go on a pool noodle? Yeah, maybe a pool noodle. There's always jokes now, so. Well, look, I, yeah. I, I really appreciate both of you coming to, to tell the story. And, Adam, I'm so happy that it all turned out okay in the end. It could have gone even worse in terms of pear-shaped. So I think yeah, I think you and your wonderful family and tribe have managed to avert a complete disaster. Absolutely. I wish you both the best of the Christmas and um, maybe you can send us some pics to post this podcast in January of your new holiday with yes. the kids on the water. Um, just, I think it's going to be a wonderful season for it. That's it. It will be. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Word of mouth is always the best promotion for a podcast. So if you enjoy this podcast or a specific story, please share it with family and friends. If you haven't already, join our Facebook group called the Flying Doctor Podcast Community. And you can also send feedback, questions or comments to me directly at lana.mitchell at rfds.org.au. Donations to support the Royal Flying Doctor Service can always be made through our website at flyingdoctor.org.au. The Flying Doctor Podcast was presented by me, Lana Mitchell, and senior producer is Mandy Coolen. Before I head off, I just want to thank one last time our sponsor and major national partner, Isuzu Ute Australia. Isuzu is committed to supporting the communities in which the RFDS operates, and this podcast would not be possible without their support. To learn more, search Isuzu Ute online.